0: But we're glad you are here. We are concluding a series on everybody always, how to love others the way that God loves us. And today we're going to kind of take bring this to a close with the message that Jesus gives us to love our enemies. So kind of prepare yourself a little bit for that. Each week uh, we highlight individuals who are living out their faith, using their gifts and abilities for the kingdom. We have a saying here that we are all... Ministers, We all represent God in our world, and uh, so we like to celebrate our faith heroes, ordinary people that God uses in extraordinary ways, and today we get to highlight a fun couple, Don and Dar, and they, yeah, look, see, usually I have to explain and then people applaud, but when you see their photo, Don and Dar, they their section hosts, I think it's in this section here, there, there they are, there they are. And I know you're embarrassed by this, but you'll get over it. Um, you're not embarrassed to wear cubs, so you, you should be good. You should be fine. Um, they they uh, are wonderful at, at hosting not only the section, but greeting, and oftentimes they'll greet people coming in the door. Uh, I know that they make it a, a, a part of their agenda every week to seek me out, to give me a hug. They're like on, they're on my list of only five people that I will hug. And uh, so, (laughs) but one of the things that they also do that I love is they're a part of our missionary care team. And so oftentimes I will connect with one of our missionaries and find out that they just talked with Don and Dar and they pray and encourage uh, others and they're just wonderful. So I just want to celebrate them this morning. So Everybody always, it's a hard thing to do, to love everybody always. Some of you have been in the growth groups, going through the DVD series, it's been a challenge. But uh, as we conclude the series this morning, uh, let's just prepare our hearts for what God has for us here. So let's bow our heads. The grass withers and the flower fades, but your word endures forever. God, we are so thankful that as we open up your word today and hear the very words of, of Christ, that, uh, that it would be a challenge for us today. Lord, that you would uh, bring correction in our lives where needed, conviction. Lord, ultimately, that you would change us, that we might be more like Jesus. And so if there's anything that's of me today, Lord, I pray that it would just fall to the ground, be forgotten. But whatever is of you, Lord, we just pray that it would stick. It might be a whisper from your spirit, might just be one word that comes out of the text. But Lord, whatever that is, I just pray that it would be for each and every one of us, so we would be open to hearing from you. We pray this in the power and in the name of Jesus, and all of God's people said, amen. Well, I've been traveling a little bit in May, some of it for fun, some of it for conference. Uh, I've been on vacation for a little bit with my family. And, uh, and then got to travel to an international conference of the Wesleyan Church. It happens once every four years, and I served as a delegate for the North American Church and uh, got to meet with national leaders from all over the world and missionaries. It was a fantastic time. Uh, Dr. Addison back there was with me for part of that. And, um, but in all of those travels, I had a lot of flights, because I usually take the cheap flights. So you have to take like three planes to get to one location. You know what I'm talking about? So I did a lot of uh, you know, scouring on my app to try to find an aisle seat whenever I could. I like to sit on the aisle just to have a little more room. Sometimes I get hit by that cart, but that's okay. So the worst seat for me is the middle. The middle seat, and I managed, out of nine flights, eight of them, I got the aisle, so I was doing pretty good. I missed a couple of flights, but I still got the aisle. The one flight I had going from going to the conference, the uh, admissions conference, I got a middle seat, and so I sat down, put the headset on, you know, trying to mentally prepare, and uh, there was a couple of uh, 20-something ladies that sat down next to me. And I just thought, I'm just going to sit here and listen to my podcast, you know, and learn some things. And then over the speaker, I heard that there was going to be a delay. And what they meant was we were going to sit on the tarmac for three hours. <laughs> yeah, I was there. And uh, <laughs> and then I decided, okay, I'm not just going to sit here and ignore these people that I'm so close to now, so I decided to take the headset off and, and just kind of introduce myself, get to know them a little bit, and I found out that they were both uh, in education. Uh, the girl to my left was on the from the East Coast and uh, was getting her Ph.D. in education. The other young lady was from the West Coast, California, and was a school teacher. So anyway, we talked about where they were going and then they started talking back and forth and to me about how horrible education system is, you know, whenever you're around other people in your role, your job, you know, you talk about those things, they're talking about funding and taxes and how school districts work. And those of you who are teachers, you know, cause you've had those conversations and everything was going fine until the teacher turned and said, now, what are you doing? Where are you going? And so I said, well, I'm a pastor. I'm on, I've uh, spent some time on vacation with my family. I'm on my way to a conference. And she physically turned in her seat, which is hard to do on those planes. <laughs> and she faced me and she started asking questions. And basically it was a little bit of uh, accusatory of the church and of Christians that she had encountered. And she wanted me to answer a bunch of questions as to why the church reacted the way that it did and I just kind of sat there for a minute and went oh boy (laughs) I don't know this lady she wasn't necessarily mad at me but because I represented Christ in the church she had a bone to pick and I just listened but in the back of my mind God was saying Thad you got a choice here you can put the headset back on and you could ignore this or you can enter into this conversation and see where this goes. See if you can bring me into the story. And so I listened to her and I wound up agreeing with a lot. She grew up in a a conservative Christian uh, family, had a lot of don't do this, don't do that. Went to a conservative Christian school, had a lot of don't do this, don't do that. Parents paid for her to go to a Christian university. All of that is good and wonderful but her experience wasn't so good. She saw things in the church, and you do, of judgmental people and hatred. And the very thing that she read in the scriptures about God's love for others, she didn't see lived out. And so when she was done with college, she walked away from the church. And she told me about her frustrations with how the church functions around the world and how she doesn't see them caring for others. And then she asked about our church. And I said, well... We're about radically loving and growing together in Christ and here's what it looks like and here's what we do in outreach. And the missions conference I'm going to is with national leaders because you know what, North America hasn't always done a great job bringing Jesus to other cultures. We just brought our, our culture to other cultural cultures. Can't say that this morning. Instead of just bringing Jesus and so we're trying to do things differently. Or are trying to be the church that I think God has called us to be. And I, I have a love-hate relationship with the church. I've said this before. Sometimes I hate what the church has done and sometimes can be, but I love what the church is supposed to be and what God wants, and I wanna be a part of that. So we had a good conversation and we started talking about scripture because she knew scripture and we talked about the ways that Jesus loved others. And by the end of the conversation and the end of the trip, I just simply reached out and encouraged her and just said, listen, don't give up on, the G- on Jesus. You might have given up on his bride, but don't give up on Jesus. And I, I asked her to seek out another church that might be more like us, not that we get it right, but she, was, she had physically changed, her demeanor changed from one of uh, accusing to one of just kind of sitting back and listening. And God did something in that conversation. I don't know what, what's gonna happen from it, but that's, that's up to God. But in that moment, God was whispering to me the whole time, Thad, you have a choice. We're all ministers of the gospel, and we find ourselves sometimes being, being in a relationship which is difficult, maybe as an enemy someone that doesn't like us or we have a problem liking them. They're different than we are. They have different values than us. And so we see ourselves apart from one another. And in those circumstances, we represent Christ and the church, his bride, because we are his bride. And God whispered to me, and this is how my mind works or at least how God talks to me. And God said, Thad, in these moments, you have a choice. You can bring reconciliation. You can bring love and reconciliation to this moment and bring me into the story. Or you can wreck a situation. And so that's the phrase that kind of stuck with me. Love is reconciliation, not wreck a situation. (laughs) When I'm in those moments, if I just walk away, ignore or argue, I have a tendency to wreck the situation that God has put me in but if I will reach out in love and begin a conversation and talk more about Jesus and what he thinks of them and the world, I allow God to bring reconciliation to to that. And it's not me becoming a friend with an enemy. It's not about that. It's about them becoming a friend of God. It's about allowing God to restore whatever brokenness they have. I might not talk to them ever again. There might be enemies that you and I have that, are, that we're not gonna have an ongoing relationship with, but when we are in those situations, we have a choice. We can love them and bring reconciliation or we can wreck the situation in those conversations. So how do you treat your enemies? And you, I, I just say that word and some of you already have a name in mind you've already got a situation right it's it's the ex boyfriend girlfriend spouse it's the employee who lied to get the job you should have got the classmate who stole your work the family member who took your money the neighbor who put their fence on your property and maybe it's even something that's that's racial i have a one life and i was talking with him this week and uh he had to sit down with his son, who's 10. He had to sit down with his son this week and have a conversation because someone called him the N-word. And my friend had to tell his son what that meant and how to respond when someone treats him that way. Man, that's hard. How do you love others in those circumstances? How do you love your enemy? Over the last few weeks, We've talked about loving everybody always, and Pete last week talked about loving those who are within the church, and that's difficult enough. We all have differences, right? We all have different things that we do and different personalities, but it's about unity and coming together in Christ. But how do we love those who are outside of the church, who might be enemies of the church? Not just your enemy, but they don't value what the kingdom values. They don't see what you see. Their worldview is different than your worldview. How do we love our neighbor? Jesus was asked the question, who is is my neighbor, right? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. That's that's the law, right? Love God, love your neighbor. The first two commandments, that's the law in a nutshell. And so someone asked him, hey, but who is my neighbor? If I'm supposed to love my neighbor, who is my neighbor? And Jesus tells the story of the good Samaritan. Maybe you know the story. There was a Jew that was injured, that was hurt, and was laying in a ditch, and his fellow Levite and priest, those who were part of his nationalism, if you will, part of his people group. They just walked right on by. But it was a Samaritan, an enemy of the Jewish people, Jesus said, that came and helped him and took care of him. Jesus tells the story describing who your neighbor is by telling the people that it's someone that they considered to be an enemy. Imagine how that rocked their world. You see, in the scriptures in the New Testament, you find that there are uh, different uh, Levels of sin, right? They don't just mention sinners, but there's other names, titles given. There's the tax collector. They're a part of the Jewish nation, but they were working for Rome and oftentimes stealing money from people. And so there wasn't just sinners, there was tax collectors and sinners. And there was prostitutes and sinners. And there was pagans and sinners, the Gentiles. And there was Samaritans and sinners. People that were enemies of the Jewish nation, enemies of the culture. That, and Jesus is describing to us that our neighbor is oftentimes those that we have something against or they have something against us. And in Matthew chapter five, he takes this a little bit further. He says, you have heard it said, love your neighbor, got that. And hate your enemy, but I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, that you may be children of your Father in heaven. Not only love your neighbor, those who are in proximity, and this is a quote from Leviticus chapter 19. So Jesus quotes this, right? You've heard it said. But Leviticus 19 doesn't say, hate your neighbor. That's not a part of the Old Testament scripture. So somewhere along the line, People began to interpret Leviticus 19 of loving your neighbor meant to love those who are like you, love those who are part of your nation. But those who are different than you are, you're to to reject. You are to have enmity with. Don't have anything to do with them. They are opposed to God. They are opposed to our nation. So let's not have anything to do with them. And Jesus says, oh, you've heard that but I'm telling you a new law, but I'm telling you to love your neighbors and pray for those who persecute you. The word "persecute" in the Greek means to habitually harass. All I could picture is that one person who just kind of keeps poking you. You know what I'm talking about? You go to work, right? Or school and that you see them coming down the hallway and you're like, oh, not them again, right? It's that. It's ongoing and systematic harassment. People who do that God says, I want, I want you to love them because why? Because you represent the Father. If you will learn to love them, you are children of the Father in heaven. they'll see God in you. You know in Matthew chapter five it, it's filled with the Sermon on the Mount, but it's the teachings of Jesus and he teaches the kingdom value. what does God value in this kingdom? How are you supposed to live out the kingdom value and talks about blessing those who persecute you in Matthew chapter five, and don't judge other people and don't make oaths in the name of God. Don't take an eye for an eye, but give to others and forgive others. And all of it leads to this last passage in Matthew five. It culminates in this whole message of if you're going to look different in this world, if you're going to represent God in this world, one thing you need to do is love, even those who are your enemies, those who are difficult for you to love. Because when you do, you represent the Father. There is a story of reconciliation that you bring to the situation. Jesus goes on in this passage and he says, that God causes his son to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, Jesus reminds us that, yeah, we're to love our enemies, but it's because they're just like you and I. We live in a sinful world, and we live in a world with chaos, and whether they're your enemy or not, whether they're a different color or not, whether they're a different nationality or not, you walk out and it's raining, you're both getting wet. You walk out and it's sunny, you're gonna get burned. You are no different in the eyes of God. He loves them as much as he loves you. And so the reason we're to love others is because God loves others. And then he goes on to say, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? In other words, you're, you're, you're no different than others. Even the tax collectors do that. And if you greet only your own people, what are you doing more than others? Do not even the pagans do that? And I love how Jesus takes these people groups and he kind of, throws it back into the, to the disciples. It says, hey, these people that you think are different, if you only love people who are like you, you're just like them. And again, you are just like others. And God loves you, which means God loves them. And if you want a reward and you want to look more like God, you need to learn to love people who are difficult, to love. And he concludes the whole section with this phrase, be perfect, therefore, as your heavenly father is perfect. It's where we get our word for holy in the Greek. It means to be complete, to be set apart. If you want to look different in our world, if you want to be more like Christ, then you have to be perfect in love. John Wesley talked about perfect love and what that looked like when you and I do everything out of love for God and love for others, no matter who they are. He called it Christian perfection. It's part of the goal that God has for us, his sanctifying work in our lives. He keeps wanting to soften our hearts and help us to love people, even those who are our enemies. Be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. That's a, that's a tremendous challenge. There's no one here that's going to go, okay, I'm going to pray that prayer this morning. I'm going to walk out of here and I'm going to be perfect from now on. It doesn't work that way. It's a process. And sometimes the perfection that God is doing in us, he uses difficult people to do, right? To shape us. We learn more about our prejudice. We learn more about how hard our heart is when we are confronted. And God goes, hey, hey. I want you to love that person. Okay, God, I gotta work on that. As God perfects us, he makes us more like Christ. In Romans chapter five, we're reminded that we too were enemies of God and he reconciled us. You see, when we begin to realize that we are just like others, that we were enemies at one point in time, it helps us to realize what God wants to do for, for those who are difficult. If, for if, if while we were God's enemies, we were reconciled to him through the death of his son, how much more having been reconciled shall we, shall we be saved through his life? Enemies, reconciliation. Two words, that keep coming up. Enemies, reconciliation. At one point in time, we weren't following God. We didn't want to do things His way. But while we were enemies, God sent His Son to die on the cross for our sins that we might be saved. He loved us that much. And the scriptures tell us that is why we should start loving others, because God wants to do the same in their life. In Colossians, same phrasing. Once you were alienated foreigners from God and were enemies in your minds because of your evil behavior, but now he has reconciled you by Christ's physical body through death to present you holy. Same word, perfect in his sight. God has made you holy even though you were once an enemy because he reconciled you through Christ. So when you and I find ourselves in a situation where we are confronted and we are, we are wanting to argue and we're wanting to fight or flight, and it's an individual that we're just not sure we can get along with, we have a choice. We can either bring Jesus into the conversation, into the relationship, and do what we can to pray and to bring reconciliation, maybe not for us, but for them. Bring God in and bring reconciliation. Or we can walk away, ignore, argue. And if we do that, we wreck the situation. God wants us to bring him into the story. You know, there's a story in, in, the, uh, in the book, Everybody Always, Bob Goff tells the story of going to Uganda. He's a lawyer and he goes to Uganda and he winds up sitting with a judge and talking with the judge. It was a Supreme Court justice and said, what what are some of the issues that your country is facing? And in a sub-Saharan Africa, uh, there's a lot of animism. uh, People were just worshiping just nature or different spiritual powers. There's superstitions that exist. And so there are witch doctors. And in Uganda, this is prevalent. And uh, one of the issues that the country was facing was that these witch doctors would take children and they would sacrifice them, believing that their blood or their body parts brought some kind of power. And so people would pay to have children kidnapped or taken or even their own children and have them sacrificed by a witch doctor. So Bob hears the story and he says to the judge, well, how do you take them to court? Judge said, well, everybody's afraid of the witch doctors. They have a lot of power around here, a lot of political pull as well. So nobody wants to take them to court and no judge will will watch their case. Well, Bob says, well, I'm not afraid. You find a kid that survives, call me and I wanna come and I wanna help you take them to court. So sure enough, he comes back to the States. There's a little boy named Charlie, they call him Charlie, who was taken from a village, mutilated by a witch doctor but he lived, and so Bob finds out, flies back to Uganda, takes the witch doctor to court, finds a judge that will watch the case, and he wins. They put the witch doctor away for life. He's sitting in prison for what he has done, and Bob's feeling pretty good about that until he remembers the very words that Jesus said in Matthew five that we're to love our enemies. And he begins to struggle with that. I want you to watch this video and hear the rest of the story and what God did through Bob in this situation.
1: Now the way my world works, there's terrific little kids like Charlie. And then there's people who are evil like Kabi. And I want every awesome thing to happen to Charlie. God loves kids and he loves justice. But Jesus also said in Matthew 5, love your enemies. And because Kabi was my enemy, I decided to take these promises, these mandates in Matthew 5 about loving our enemies for real. And so I called the warden at Lazira Maximum Security Prison. I let him know I'm the Consul General for the Republic of Uganda, and I wanted to meet Kabi. And, he, and I met Kabi inside this dark room in Lazira. And when Kabi came in, he took a knee And he started telling me about how bad he felt about what he'd done to Charlie. And I was thinking to myself, well, you just feel bad that I caught you." Then he started talking about witchcraft and what he'd done in his life. And then his words, not mine, he said, I know I'm gonna die in this place. Do you know what I need? I need forgiveness. And I felt like I was talking to a criminal hanging on a cross next to Jesus. You know the one that Jesus turned to and said, you get paradise. And you know what, you guys? I didn't want Kabi to get in because he hurt my friend. But isn't it terrific that God's ability to forgive us isn't limited by our ability to get in? And get this, Kabi comes to Christ. I'm like, really? Like he's into, I wasn't trying to get him in, I was trying to keep him out. But, but we don't need to understand everything about forgiveness to get a little.
0: I love that line. We don't need to understand everything about forgiveness to get a little. We all have individuals that we have a difficult time with. Some of those relationships, some of those individuals that we would consider enemies, those who persecute, harass us, it is difficult. I'm not saying you're going to walk out of here today and you're going to have it down but I believe that there's something powerful when you and I bring Jesus into that relationship and that situation. And we can either wreck it by doing it our way and dealing with it by arguing, ignoring, fight or flight, or we can just simply say, hey, I don't know where this is going, but I just want you to know God loves you. I'm gonna do my best but let them know that there is a God who cares for them deeply. And maybe, just maybe, they will find the reconciliation that you and I have found in Christ. There's some things not to do. Don't bring correction. Don't tell them everything they're doing is wrong. Don't bring hate. Telling them that they're a sinner, they're going to hell. Don't cause more distance. You know, telling them, hey, Jesus loves you, I don't wanna ever see your face again. Probably not a good idea. I think if we respond in understanding to their accusations, understanding where they are coming from and their experiences, we can respond by bringing reconciliation. We can react in peace to those who are violent. We can resound with hope to those who have none. Let them know the hope that we have in Christ. Let me just say, if you're, if you're not a follower of Jesus and maybe you got stuck coming to church today, <laughs> you know, Memorial Day weekend, you're with family and you're like, I don't, I don't know about this church thing and you have your own issues, just like that young lady on the flight. I get it. Church, we've gotten it wrong so many times. We have wrecked the situation for others. Now, God is still more powerful than a conversation that you've had with someone See, it doesn't mean that it's over yet. But we gotta get this right. The world is looking to the church to show the love of Jesus Christ. And you and I represent him and because we are his bride, we represent the church. In those circumstances, I pray that you will bring reconciliation. Share the love of Jesus for others. If you do, God will continue to perfect you, and I pray will continue to transform our world. Let me pray. Lord, we do ask that you forgive us as the church for, uh, for times that we have brought hatred and discord to conversations and relationships with others, thinking we are right and they are wrong. God, remind us that we were once your enemies and yet you reconciled us to yourself because of the love of Jesus Christ and that we are to do the same for others, to bring the ministry of reconciliation to a world that is lost and without hope. God, help us. It might just be one little step this week. It might be a simple conversation, maybe a phone call. Maybe we just begin to pray for those who persecute us. But Lord, help us in those moments when we are confronted and reminded of the difficult relationships. Help us to remember that love is reconciliation. And we ask this in the power and name of Jesus. All of God's people said, amen.